Welcome to Super Talk, the podcast that scratches your superhero itch. Just two suburban dads nerding out over superhero stuff on the small screen and the big. Buckle up, people. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to Super Talk, the weekly podcast dedicated to news and reviews of comic book media on the big and small screen. This is episode, holy crap, number 20. 20. I'm your host, Brian Professor Pettis, and with me, as always, is my illustrious co-host, Titanium Tony Estrella. The Titanium one. Professor, take us to school. Uh, Boy, you're going to really take us to school today. You brought some magical stuff, right? Yeah, it's been, uh, we'll we'll have some fun today. Um, For those of you who don't know, I, I have a collection that started back, you know, in the mid eighties when I started, you know, buying comic books at a local shop and, you know, collected for a number of years and, you know, they just kind of took up space in my basement. And eventually I said, Hey, I got to organize these and figure out when we started the podcast, I'm like, Hey, a good reason to organize them. And uh, titanium came up over and helped me out a, a couple days to, to kind of sort through some of them. And cool I stuff. finally have sorted through all of them and I'm just now labeling them boxes and putting them back. Um, but I'm like, hey, I have a box of some of the ones that I value highly, or pers- you know, either whether, you know, nostalgically or they're worth some money. And I said, well, I'll bring some over and we'll kind of talk through some of them. So yeah, it'll be it'll be fun, and and we will continue to to feature and focus on some of the 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 printed comic books that I have as as we get into some of the series and movies that are coming out in the future. Hopefully, we'll be able to draw. We'll show you where Marvel's been drawing inspiration, you know, from these actual comic books. Yeah, very cool. Um, I think you hid them from the world until it was cool (laughs) again. You didn't want to show your true professor. There's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, of course. Uh, But now it is. Shit gets you beat up when you're younger. I know, when you're little. Yeah, they could. Um, But now uh, it's very cool to have that kind of of, uh, swag. So let's get into it. You know, it's like, what's funny, Titanium, is that. you and I grew up in, in an era where, you know, you could collect baseball cards and comic books and a bunch of other things. And, you know, that was very popular at the time. But then, you know, it kind of went away for a while. But those people who kind of kept hold of what they did back when we were, you know, kids and teenagers, boy, they're really thankful of that right now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I had boxes of them when I was younger. And um, when my parents split up, uh, some of the boxes got lost. Some of the boxes got sold some of the boxes went here some of the boxes went there and i just kind of lost track of them but i boy i wish i had those back and i'm i i applaud you for being diligent about keeping them safe um like most nerds and geeks do protect thy comic book collection <laughs> well before we get into the the main topic this week uh, we always want to start our show off by thanking our sponsor studio g g studio home of the man band corn of the cob we put a link to their uh, YouTube page and our show notes every week. Please go visit them. Give them a like. Give them a subscribe. Help us help them because they're our best sponsor. Absolutely. Studio GG Studios, thank you so much. Thanks for the support. Um, I got a really nice message that we dedicated the last week's show to Pig, a lost pet of theirs, a special little creature. Um, miss them a lot, and uh, they do too, but they, they sent me a nice little note thanking us for doing that, so that's kind of cool. So but our, Studio our pleasure, at least we, least we could do for them. Absolutely. And we also want to thank the listeners who bring you the show as well. Those are our patrons, patreon.com slash supertalk. These are listeners who have signed up to be a direct supporter of the show, $1 per episode. They're now donating their money to help 
fund our show and they're helping bring the show to you. So thank you to our patrons, patreon.com slash super talk. If you want to become a patron, but those of you who signed up, we really appreciate the support. Love those hardcore fans from Patreon. Uh, exact. Actually, one of them made a comment and helped us out with last week's show. And we'll get into that. Um, cool. Something that they caught and we didn't, and we love that. So please, if we ever, uh, make a mistake or we miss something and you guys know something that we don't leave it in the comments or uh, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what happened. Well, and I'm sure it happens more than we'd like to admit, <laughs> but yes, absolutely. All right, well, let's get into the news and reviews for this week. Um, I know one of the things you wanted to talk about this week was Jupiter's Legacy. So we talked about it last week during the show. Yeah. This is a series on Netflix, um, kind of a unique IP that, that an author brought to the network and said, hey, I think I've got a great idea for a show based around some superheroes and you know comic base characters um but they're brand new nobody knows anything about them i think i've got a good story so we sold the story to netflix they made it an eight episode first season for netflix and i believe yeah. it's been picked up for for follow-on but yeah we watched all eight and <clears throat> yeah what do you think i thought it was good not great uh but good a little confusing um you know the the team that this guy that had these visions assembled and brought to this uh, island and had to go through these tests basically uh, was all about them uh, letting go of their hatred for one another and letting go of baggage and coming together as a team and in order to be worthy enough to, I guess, be empowered, go, empowered, go through this portal to this planet and, and this alien being talking to them and giving them these powers. And then just kind of weird that the show kind of ended where, you know, they were fighting against each other and, and they're that some of them are, are evil and some of them are not. And it just, I just, I thought that was a little weird curveball, you know, uh, where do these other beings come from? Where are all these other super beings come from and these super villains, where are they coming from? So I, I'm just a little confused at, at some, some things about the show, but uh, overall, I thought it was good. The, the, the actor that plays Utopian in there, what's his name? Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant? Yes. Great. No, no, no. Not Timothy Oliphant. It's... Uh, Dur Duranum. Um, Durham. <laughs> Duran... Well, Professor, this is why you're here. You know I butcher names. You know I can't think of... Josh Demel. Josh Demel. Durham. <laughs> I was close. <laughs> Josh Demel, you're absolutely correct. So I think what he's show done was a great he show. on before? It was on. He was on a pretty major network television show. Um, it wasn't CSI, but it was something, something like that. Yeah, there was some major. Josh Dumel. I mean, he was married to, um, I believe, Fergie, the singer right. from the okay. Black Eyed Peas for a long okay. time. Yes, Josh Dumel, really good actor, and I think he played the role very well. When and, he's going through like a lot of mental issues, and he's going kind of crazy, he's seeing his yeah. dead father. I thought he did a great job. I thought he, he he's a good actor, and I thought he was doing a really good job. And um, his wife is played by uh, actress named Leslie Bibb. You, you those comic book nerds out there will remember her from Iron Man one and two. She played the the reporter uh, reporter mm -hmm. who ended up sleeping with Tony Stark. I think the first night of his you know, and and uh, Pepper wakes up and. You know, has her great line dress, you know, dry cleaned or whatever. Was you know, Tony, have you pick up his dry cleaning? Yeah, and take out and the trash. Take out the trash. Yeah, great right. line. Yeah, right. But that—that's her. Um, I, you know, my opinion. Is, so one of the things that you and I found very confusing about the show is it occurred in two different timelines. So 
we first start the show in current times yeah. where all of these superheroes have children who have superpowers yes. and they're all now kind of part of some smaller teams or they're joining the union, which is kind of the just version of the justice league. And they're struggling with being the children of the parents yeah. who are superheroes and all this other stuff. And, but then they do these flashbacks to the original union, you know, the union of the six superpowered individuals. The original team. Yeah. yeah. And, and they, how they came about. They grew up in the 20s and 30s. Yeah. And it looks like they got their superpowers in the 1930s. And, you know, so we're seeing the very old versions of themselves in current times with their children and kind of trying to mentor them through current times. And then we're going back to see how they got their powers and really the origin story of the team. Yeah. And so you and I were really confused about that. It's like yeah. they, they bounce back and forth between the timeline seamlessly in the show and sometimes you're not really sure what's current what's old that was really strange yeah um i didn't mind that as much as how clunky it was um trying to figure out where these supervillains came from why is it happening that there's this big uprising of these supervillains and where where'd they come from and and why are the the original super team kind of pitted against each other well and the underlying theme of the show is the union has a code right so they it, developed a code from the beginning that said well, utopian utopian to, said if we're going to do this we're going to do it the right way and no leading and no killing no killing right so we don't kill we bring people to justice we you know subdue we don't ever kill we inspire we lead we show by example, but we do not kill. Nor do we influence government. That's so that true. was the other thing that they're they're not going to. You know, they say that we could have been more involved in World War II and Vietnam and all we these. Other, ended we could have ended the wars, but that's not our job, right? Right. Um, so, the, but this code has driven the team for decades, and now the code is being questioned by this new generation of heroes. Well, I does think it apply anymore? Right. It was questioned with some of the original team too. Right. I think that's what started to split the team apart. That the the, the hard line of keeping the code got in the way of you know life. Well, especially the new generation is now like, hey, these super villains are killing us. They're they're not hesitating at all to kill us. Why should we hesitate to yeah. kill them? You know, interesting. It's an interesting concept. I, once again, really good. Uh, not great, um, but I thought it was good. I, I'll definitely watch season two. I would call it entertaining, but not enthralling. Not right. like didn't totally capture my attention. Just like, oh my god, I can't wait to finish the next episode. Yeah. Like Invincible did that for me. Oh yeah. Like I really I liked Invincible so much that I really wanted to watch the next episode. I couldn't wait for the next one to come yeah. out and see what was happening. Whereas. Jupiter's Legacy was like, okay, I'll get through it, but it's like, oh, I'm not like that wrapped it, up in You're it. not invested right. in the characters right. much. I, I do want to find out uh, what happened to some of the original character, uh, original super people. Uh, I want to find out what happened to George, you know, Firefox, I think, or Sky Fox. Sky Fox. I want to happen. What happened? Why did he split up? Uh, you know, we got bits and pieces of it. He took the vice president and, hostage. And, and I think I think that they're saving that for yeah, season two, I right? Think so. you know, they had or season three or whatever. I think right. they're keeping us on a string, which you know, these shows these days, that's how they do it. But unlike some other things that have come out here during the pandemic, I, I we collectively thought that it was a, a good show and worth your watch and worth your time sure. watching. So, you know, check it out. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I do think that Netflix is somewhat invested in this property. So we will probably see either a direct um, 
sequel to this series, if not some kind of side projects that they're yeah. going to do. That'd be great. Yeah. All right. Well, one of the things I also wanted to talk about this week was, um, I don't know if you noticed this, but in that Venom trailer we were talking about last week, we finally got a trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And in that trailer, uh-huh. there was an actor, Stephen Graham. I think we yep. talked about him. He was in Boardwalk Empire. I really, mm-hmm. really like him. He plays a, a, a police detective mm-hmm. in the show looking tr- looking into the hidden bodies behind Cletus Cassidy. Like, yes. where are all the other bodies? And Detective Mulligan. In, in Detective Mulligan. And in the the trailer, you see him reading a Daily Bugle. That's the Daily Bugle I was talking about. Right. And it says that, you know, where are the bodies? Uh, and he's reading that. Come to find out that that Detective Mulligan is becomes gets a version of a symbiote uh-huh. later on in the comics and becomes a character called Toxin. Uh-huh. And I'm like, wow, they just kind of slipped that in and didn't even think about, you know, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's Detective Mulligan. He becomes Toxin later. It's which is a symbiote of Carnage that Venom kind of thinks is okay because he's a detective, so he'll probably be good, but it's a carnage symbiote, so he might not be good. And yeah. then the, it, there's all kinds of crazy storylines that go on in the future with it. But I'm like, the fact that he's now being introduced in this movie tells me that they have some big plans for other symbiote versions of Carnage and Venom in the future. So like I alluded to earlier in the show, shout out to Gavin Klingham, who literally, when I posted last week's show, on YouTube, he commented immediately about this. He said, hey, did the, the character that was in Boardwalk Empire, that, that actor who plays Detective Mulligan, becomes Toxin in the comics. And he was basically like, you know, did you guys know that? And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. The professor so, caught it eventually. Yeah, but, the professor, of course. But. Of course. But, but it, shout out to Gavin Klingham right, for. Gavin. Uh, hitting us, us up with the toes. comment. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And and um, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, we were going to get to that eventually, but thank you for reminding us. And I guess Toxin, I, at some point, Toxin kind of teams up in the comics with um, Venom to fight Carnage. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. It's like Carnage... And like Venom originally says, is I think it's going to be okay if he becomes, you know, a symbiote because he's a cop and I think he'll be good. But but wait a minute, it's from Carnage, so maybe not. So he teams up with Carnage to defeat Toxin originally, but then they he ultimately says, yeah, okay, we're good. And then the two of them fight Carnage at some point in time. It's it's literally, and I hope they're not going this direction because when Venom became as popular as he did, and then ultimately Carnage became popular. Um, Marvel really did like a quadruple down on the symbiote like future, and this there were so many different symbiotes, yeah. and then there was a symbiote god, you know, and there's now this this alien god who is in charge of all these symbiotes, and I'm like, oh my god, it was just like yeah, too, much too much at much. some point in time, and I hope they're not going that far with it. But typical, when you find a good thing, you you duplicate it, multiply it, you take it to the copy machine, you make several hundred copies of it, and try to dish it off for the almighty dollar, you know? And, and unfortunately, they're going to do that as much as they can, uh, while people are willing to pay for it, but, you know... It, I it, say it, they ride Venom and Carnage out until people get sick of them, and then bring in new symbiotes, but whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, great catch, Gavin, and, and I'm, I wanted to mention that this week. So Very good. Professor's on it, Gavin. 
We also did see some uh, leaked behind-the-scenes footage from the set of Thor Love Prof- and Thunder. Professor, what, we? Well, Dark Web. You? Yeah. I, I was shocked. I know you're... When you sent me that, I was shocked. I was like, really? And it took every bone in my body not to Google it or try to find it because I do not want to see it. Do you feel that this Thor Love and Thunder is a little looser with stuff than... So- Here's what I'll say is that we know what we've been told is there's going to be more than one version of Thor in this movie. Of course. And why would we have Jane Foster come back if not to... And then they showed her on stage... Getting the hammer. Yeah, Holding the hammer. We know it's coming. And, you know, so my theory is that somehow some way she gets thor's hammer and the real question was well how does the hammer come back so what we know in the mcu right now is mjolnir was destroyed by hella uh, by um hella right uh-huh in thor ragnarok yep destroyed it completely shattered yeah thor went back in time during endgame and got an alternate reality version of the hammer the Mjolnir and yep. brought it back to our current timeline. Yep. Captain, Captain America, America used it. It was one of the greatest scenes in yep. any Marvel movie ever when he got the hammer and all this other stuff. Well, then he goes back to and bring, returns it, re- return everything, including Mjolnir. So we assume that version of Mjolnir is now back in its original timeline. Right. Where it came from. So from our perspective, Mjolnir is destroyed still in pieces. Correct. And again, what I was able to, pieced together from what I saw that there was this um, altar that they had put together in as new Asgard, which is where um, Valkyrie had set up the new version, you know, new version of Asgard. Okay. Which we saw at the end of Endgame. There's an altar very akin to the altar they set up in Lord of the Rings for um, Isildur's sword. You know, the, okay. the pieces of the sword the pieces, that were, okay. that were uh-huh. so very similar. There was, Mjolnir and all the pieces of Mjolnir yeah, sitting because on she an destroyed altar. it on Earth and right. it was still it was just still laying there. there. Yeah, still there. And supposedly that there's somehow some way that Jane Foster is not only able to get the powers of Thor because she's worthy, but maybe Mjolnir reforms as well. So, and again, this is all conjecture from a few kind of minor behind the scenes pieces of of footage cool. that they were filming. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. Again, I, I, I was so upset when they destroyed Mjolnir in sure. Ragnarok because literally it's one of the greatest weapons ever created in the history of anything. Sure. Um, you know, it's on par with It's an iconic symbol, not on, just for it's Thor. It's on par with Sting, you know, that that uh that they used in the Hobbit, you know, the the the, oh. the, the sword that glows the sword blue that glows, when there's orcs yeah. or I mean it's it's an iconic weapon. I like mean, a lightsaber. Yeah, like a lightsaber. I yeah. mean it's it's that iconic. Sure. And when they destroyed it, I'm, <laughs> and I it re- reminds me of the scene between Thor and um who's the rock guy from Ragnarok? Um Krog. Krog. And he's like talking about it. he's like, Yeah, I had this hammer and I could throw it and it would come back to me and he, you know yeah, sounds like you got a thing for your hammer. <laughs> it's great, um, but anyway, so that was a really cool, cool revelation, and and I think we're looking forward to that. I think we're looking forward to some version of Mjolnir coming. I back. just find it interesting that so many leaks from that movie 
Um, and we're not so, hearing about you're not hearing you. We're, well, we're not hearing about a lot of them, of course. Thank goodness, but just nothing from Doctor Strange. Nothing. Nothing from Doctor Strange. Spider Man. Nothing. Well, I a did little hear, bit from Spider Man. I did hear a few but things. Not this week much, from but Spider-Man. then. Not much from Guardians uh, Volume Three, which just started filming as well. Yeah, that's that's in still pre-production. I mean, that's they're just. I think they're just looking at storyboards now. Well, speaking of that one one movie, the next um, news item that kind of came across the wire this week is that there's a possibility that we may see a cameo of Ghost Rider in Doctor Strange Two. There's no evidence of this. There's no footage. There's no, but there's like this well thought out theory out there that that Ghost Rider let's hope shows up in some form or fashion in Doctor Strange two, which could set up one of the favorite kind of you know teams that was put together called the Midnight Suns, and so this was versions of characters. And and you think about it, all the characters we know are coming. Yeah, Blade. Yep. Uh, Morbius, uh-huh. uh, Ghost Rider, Moon Knight, Doctor Strange, Moon Knight. These were all members of the Midnight Suns, and it's like, okay, wow, we're all getting introduced to them. So, I'm, I'm excited. Look, you and I've talked about this before. Keanu Reeves has uh, yeah. been. If he's not Ghost Rider, it'll be, be involved with Marvel and had meetings it. with Kevin Feige, and also, I mean, the guy. Loves motorcycles, rides them all the time, yeah. you know, and uh, just if that guy's, if, if you're going to put him in a, in a role in some Marvel movie, it would be Ghost Rider. One? Yeah. Some, there's a lot of rumors about him being Adam Warlock, but you and I both disagree. We think he's Ghost Rider. That'd yeah. be cool. Midnight Suns would be awesome. And you're right. It, it, all those characters are slated sometime in the future. Well, you think about it. If we have Doctor Strange 2... Where do they go next with that character? What's the next kind of thing that they do? And I really think moving into the the dark side of the supernatural and and you know getting into the you know the dark side of magic would be something that would be natural for that character. And why not team him up with Ghost Rider right. and Blade? And you know, I mean, we got Mahershala Ali as Ghost as Blade. We've got you know Keanu Reeves as Ghost yeah. Rider. You got Benedict Cumberbatch as as Doctor Strange, I mean that would be what a great movie that would be. Yeah, yeah. There's rumors It'd of cool. of uh, some kind of being, some kind of creature with one eye, being the big villain in oh, Doctor uh, Strange. Uh, yeah, what's? What? But you know that you speaking of that, you you did mention that being the dark side, and they kind of introduced it in Wandavision a little bit with the book Mephisto. Yeah, <laughs> of course. We can't go a show without mentioning Mephisto. Until they bring him in, that's our goal, is to mention Mephisto every show. But uh, I think they started I think you're onto something, Professor. I think you're absolutely correct. I think they started it with WandaVision at the very end, bringing in that dark element and then continuing it through. Uh, I really wish they would have made Doctor Strange 2 a horror flick. Um, I so, think it's well, going to be, it's gonna be that, pretty scary. It's going to be pretty close. Um, but Scott Derrickson was like all on board with like, this is going to be Marvel's first horror movie. Yeah. When he came out on stage on, on Comic-Con, he's like, we're going into horror. This yeah. is going to be Marvel's first horror movie. And everybody's all excited about it. And then Scott Derrickson left the project and yeah. now we got Sam Raimi. But from what I hear, it's still kind of going to be a little gothic horror. be the same script, yeah. right? So right. looking forward to that. I, I think you're absolutely correct. And Midnight Suns would be something very cool. All right. And then the last thing I noticed this week, I don't know if you saw this, um, Emily Blunt was on an interview 
I can't remember where she was interviewed, but they they point blank asked her about the, all the rumors of Fantastic Four and her being her and her husband being cast in the Fantastic Four, and she came out and flat denied it. Not only did she flat deny it, but she said, "I have zero desire to play a superhero in any of these movies. I just don't relate to the characters." You know, Emily, Emily, you just broke my heart. You absolutely broke my heart. She basically said, you know, it's got to be a character so that's got some depth that I can really kind of latch on to, that there would be some reason why I should play that Ugh. character. You know, John Krasinski doesn't care. He wants to play Reed Richards. He says, my wife can do whatever. Now, what part of you believes she might have been misdirecting the media a little bit? Um, I'm gullible. She's beautiful. She's a smoke show. So I'm going to believe, I'm going to take her word for what it is. So you think that she has no desire to play a superhero? I think she has no desire to play a superhero. You think otherwise. You think she's misdirecting. It would not, it would not be surprising if she was told by Marvel to do everything she can to misdirect, to, to, to misdirect people. But this would also lend some credence to the rumors we heard earlier about Jennifer Lawrence potentially playing sure. the invisible woman. Yeah. But this doesn't mean John Krasinski's out. It just means that Emily Blunt. No, I get it. Out, right. Yeah. I get it. it. And it would also throw off some of the bloodhounds like you and I that are sniffing around. So if you're Emily, it's now like, do I want my husband kissing me or do or- I want him kissing <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence? You know, for at least a four or five movie. Right. Commitment. This could multi multi picture deal here. Hey, smoke show to smoke show. I'd right. like to be John. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, let's move into the top of the week this week. Let's and, let's um, keep it moving. Absolutely. We thought we'd do something fun this week. So, guys, pay attention. Take your notebooks out. The professor's got a real treat for you today. Yeah. At least for uh, the YouTubers, and even on our podcast, you'll be able to enjoy some of the history. And here's what I'll, one of the things I'll tell you. So, as I own many of these uh, comics in print, and I'm proud to own them, and some some of them worth, I'm sure, a little bit of money. Um, the beautiful thing about modern technology is that almost every comic book that I'm talk that we talk about is now available digitally. Right. Um, Marvel's done a really great job of digitizing even some of the back issues of their older catalog. And if you know, owning these is great, but what I'll tell you is reading them when I bought them originally was even better. Yeah. And that's why I own them because that's I awesome. loved the stories. And I think that that's one of the things that Kevin Feige always believed when he came to work for Marvel was like, Oh my God, there's this rich history of character development and, and stories. stories. Yeah. Uh, uh, not only like we he talked said about that before stories, stories of heroes and villains, and we can just draw from them and, and, you know, hopefully take inspiration and make great movies. Yeah. So what I'll tell you is we'll talk about some of these comic books, but if you out there in the audience want to read any of these, go buy a subscription to what's called Marvel Unlimited. Um, I think it's like 10 bucks a month or something. You kind of mm-hmm. get unlimited access to all their digital catalog. It's, it's great. You can go read them online. Uh, put, pull your iPad out and you can kind of zoom in and all those other yeah, things. Awesome. But Go read them because some of these stories are just the reason why I own these is because I love the story. So, uh, so we have a fan that reached out on Twitter uh, and DM'd us on Twitter, and he's got a channel, a YouTube channel, and um, on what he does is he does readings for 
he's a Fantastic Four fanatic. And he does readings on Fantastic Four, and he records them with clips of what he's reading. So he voiceovers the actual comic books issues themselves and shows and, then, the, and shows the yeah. issue as he's as he's voicing them. Yeah, and he loves our channel. And I I, I checked him out and I watched one of his his shows and uh, it's pretty cool. But that's another way to consume um, you know this kind of content or just keep watching our show. We'll we'll tell you all about it. Yeah, and, and again, I. I what I love about Marvel Studios is they do a really good job of picking the stories that they're going to use for inspiration, but they also do a very good job of not beholding themselves to staying completely 100% true to them. Yeah. They'll deviate when it's necessary or when it's, you know, kind of practical. Like, there's certain things like, how do we really explain how this character got their powers? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. The comic book version doesn't make any sense at all. We're going to make up our own version, right? So they'll do that, which is great. Um, so anyway, I brought a hand. Well, I brought one of my boxes. Uh, this is kind of the box that I keep some of the more valuable editions that I own. And I'll just kind of go through some of them and why I like them and why I kept bought them originally. But we'll kind of talk about yeah, it for the podcast. Yeah. You uh, listeners describe the the comic that you're putting up there now. He just took down a Spider-Man versus Wolverine comic, which is super cool. Uh, that's a, cool. that was a limited series. Uh, they did a, Sp- a Spider-Man versus Wolverine. They kind of do these limited series where yeah. like, you know, you take two, like from my perspective, number one and number two in my book from comic book character is Spider-Man and Wolverine. They're like my number one and number two. Okay. And so to have Spider-Man versus Wolverine, I'm like, how, who wouldn't want to buy that? Yeah, so I bought that and I own it, but I you know, put that up. Superman that, and Iron Man would be me. <laughs> but that's just me. And that may never happen. That was going to never happen because I lost uh, But the one I put up now is Silver Surfer number one. So um came out in 1987. This is the first issue of his first solo series. So he had a, a limited series back in the late 60s. Uh, Stan Lee developed a limited series kind of like 1968, 1969, 18 issues, a really limited series. Okay. Um, this was the first issue of his full, this is a full Silver Surfer series. And he had been in the Fantastic Four and a bunch of storylines and everything else across the Marvel Universe up until this point. But in the late 80s, they decided, hey, we're going to give the Silver Surfer his own uh, series. And I bought in from day one. And for me Personally, I, I love Norrin Rad and the story of the Silver Surfer and how he got his powers and why he was the Herald of Galactus and everything. Norrin Rad is the name of the Silver Surfer. Okay. Right. And this series goes into his history. Like, how did he become the Silver Surfer? Why was his world being eaten by Galactus? And what did he do to save his world? And Galactus is a big villain in the Marvel world. Right. And he ends up becoming the Herald of Galactus. And then there's, I mean, but this series really kind of went into the whole history behind that. And I loved it. And so... For me, Silver Surfer is one of my favorite characters. I hope we get a good version of him because the one version we saw in the, in the movies and I didn't the, think it was that bad. It wasn't that bad? No. But who played that character? What was the actor? No idea. No idea. And that's what I mean by it was that they put somebody. It was kind of a CGI version of the Silver Surfer. Yeah. You really didn't know who was playing that ver- that character. There was really no character development. Ultimately, there was kind of redemption story, very similar to his own yes. story in the comics in the movie. But I'd love to see a big name actor play the character. I'd love to see that character have his own movie, 
and you know have more space-based missions maybe yeah. show up in a you know cameo in a guardians of the galaxy movie cool. or whatever i mean there's lots of things yeah. you can do with the character um but anyway i, I have silver surfer number one Very cool. which is one of my prized possessions where else you got all that's right. cool silver surfer check it out people all right so next up next up another one of my favorite characters uh the punisher oh yeah very cool so first the punisher as we know was uh originally in amazing spider-man number 127 in like the mid 70s so that's when the punisher was introduced first showed up in any comic was in amazing spider-man he was just like hey there's this guy who's dressed in this weird costume and he shoots people and spider-man's gotta stop him and he was he was built and uh developed as a character as a vigilante right this is a guy who um, as we've seen him in his shows and right. everything like that. So. He is a bad dude with no remorse for any criminal out there. And he will kill anybody who's bad. He doesn't care how he does it and who gets in the way and all the other stuff. Uh, had a number of run-ins with, with Spider-Man. They went through some time where they were like, well, is this character deep enough that they can like kind of develop him, you know, kind of as his own character and have his own series. And it took him a long time. As a matter of fact, he did not get his own solo series until the mid-80s, 1986, as a matter of fact. And that's where what you saw is this limited series, right? So he got his first five-issue limited series. And this is issue number five. So I didn't even own one, two, three, and four because at the time I bought this, number one, I couldn't find them. And number two, they were really expensive because it was so popular. And then he got his first Great character. solo series in 1987. And these are – this is – Issue number one of his solo series. Wow. So I do own the first, you know, 25 or 30 uh, editions of his first solo series that he got in 1987. I I love the Punisher character, um, what they did with him. I love the Netflix series with, with um, John Berthal was just phenomenal. And I do believe they have big great, plans. Great adaptation yeah. of the Punisher in Netflix, so. I, I mean, I, I have a hard time believing they don't have big plans for the Punisher character going forward. He's just been too important. And they had, you know, a series called Punisher Warzone where he went back to his time in Vietnam. I mean, this is like crazy time. And, and the current version, the one that we saw in um, in Netflix, they changed it from a Vietnam era soldier. Yeah, yeah. To being a Desert Storm era yeah. soldier, right? And that's kind of well, what they have to do for modern times. They do. They have to pick it up for modern times. And, and you're right. Um, the guy that played the Punisher on that Netflix series was absolutely incredible. John amazing. Bernthal. Yeah, yeah, John Bernthal. He was great. Do you think they'll bring him back in any? And if they do... Well, we what? heard that he... That, remember, we talked about that a few episodes ago, that the, the rumors were that they had signed him on to reprise his role as the Punisher in a Disney Plus series. Okay. And we don't know what that is. She-Hulk, I think. I think you and I have talked about either Hawkeye, Hawkeye or, or She-Hulk. Or She-Hulk. One of the New York-based... Yeah. Um, series he's he might become a and look we've talked about the netflix shows before um they were too popular just to let fade away i think the three of them were really good and two of them were one of them was who's your three that you liked again well the punisher daredevil and jessica jones yeah and i believe Kristen ritter is jessica jones um john bernthal is the punisher charlie cox charlie cox as daredevil I believe all three are coming back That'd be to great. some extent. I know we're we're, the we're other speculating, two, but how great Michael the Coulter two? and no, uh, no. Luke Finn, Cage, Finn no, Jones. Don't, don't talk. I told yeah. you not to say his name in my presence. <laughs> 
But I, I do believe, and, and again, I think we're going to see Charlie Cox in Spider-Man Far From Home. I hope we see John Bernthal in a Punisher role in one of those two Disney Plus series. I mean, literally, would I jump out of my seat with excitement? It'd How great awesome. would that be? It'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, the next one on on the docket here is uh, one that we've been talked we've talked about at some point in time in our in our conversations is Watchmen number one. So this came out in September of 1986. Uh, was an iconic comic book series when it came out which just kind of flipped comic books on on their end it was incredibly popular spawned a movie if you ever watched the movie uh, the Watchmen movie was fantastic yeah and then there was an HBO series which was a follow-up to that movie that came out last year yeah um, which was also really really good it was well really done. good I didn't like its political spin and how right. it took today's issues uh, to heart and kind of made it all about political justice and racism and you you know i guess that's fine for me i love the movie a little bit more the but i did watch that series it was pretty good uh that's the one thing i didn't like about it but uh, the movie was outstanding yeah but i mean the 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 comic book and the comic book series that everybody knows about the watchman it was uh at the time it came out was just like holy crap this was great writing great artistry and i'm proud to own it so excellent yep Next one. Smoke show. Smoke show alert. Not Gal Gadot. Smoke show alert. Uh, this is Wonder Woman number one. So as everybody was aware, Wonder Woman's been around for decades. It came out in the, in the 1960s and 50s, 50s and 60s. Um, but this was the first iteration of her own series in the comics in a very long time. Uh, it was Wonder Woman number one. came out in 1987. I have probably the first seven or eight issues of this series. Uh, this happens to be number one. Um, and this series really went into her origin story yeah. as a character. That's awesome. Talked about how she was formed out of clay. Yeah, from Zeus. And, yeah. and, you know, Zeus came down and gave her life. And, you know, she was raised by the Amazonians. And it was really goes into her entire history on, um, uh, what's the name of the island? Um, oh. Themyscira. Uh, yeah. Real all of her time on Themyscira and her mom Hippolyta and how she was raised and it was it's really great. A lot of what we've seen in the movies, frankly, yeah. was this series. So I mean, I enjoyed it and I said, Wonder, hey, Wonder Woman, Woman number, number one. one. That's awesome. You better keep hold of that. You might not leave with that in your hand or in your box, your magic box of number ones. And he's got a box, people. The box is big and it's full of comics. That's he's what just she pulling said. out. A, oh, here we go. The professor getting saucy. But uh, he's got a box, people, and it's All right. full of number ones. So uh, this impressive. What you're seeing here, we we showed on last week's show. This is Wolverine number one. Um, Wolverine introduced in the comics, uh, as everybody knows. For, in, for you guys that don't know, Wolverine obviously is the professor's number one character. For he, sure, he loves Wolverine. Loves me some Wolverine. Yeah. And X Men itself, right? You well, love X Men. I love the X-Men as they're kind of like my personal favorite, but yeah. I, I like them a lot because of Wolverine. He's absolutely my number one character yeah. for sure. I mean, okay. just such a deep character and what they end up doing with him and later in comics and giving him an entire backstory. And there's so much mystery behind it. Well, how did he get his powers? How, why does he have metal bones? And also it was just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, this is Wolverine number one. This was a limited series that came out in September, 1982 written by Chris, Chris, uh, Claremont, legendary X-Men writer, Chris Claremont, and Frank Miller was the, uh, we the artist. We all know Frank Miller. Yeah, he's a pretty, fam- fam- yeah. pretty famous guy. Frank Absolutely. Miller. 
Um, and so then he had his, his a limited series, and it was only five issues, and I've got number one here. This is kind of the first time that Wolverine ever was in his own comic. He had been in uh, the X-Men comic book, Giant Size X-Men, number one, was the first time he'd ever been uh, in the comics with the X-Men. Showed up in Incredible Hulk before that. Um, but anyway, I have this one. This was one of my prized possessions. But then he got his own solo series that was written by Chris Claremont and uh, illustrated by John Biscema in 1988. And I have the first this first five uh, editions right there. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and this is uh, really, we kind of talked. So this was his own series. First here, time right? he's only ever had his own series. Okay. This is the Wolverine comic. He's always, he had been in the X-Men before, but now this is like, hey, I'm going to do just Wolverine. Nice. And you and I talked about this when we uh, were going through some of the Falcon and Winter Soldier stuff. There was a period of time in the comics where the X-Men had disappeared and they were actually in the outback in Australia, right? Okay. And Wolverine wasn't supposed to be alive and he ends up going to Madripoor and right. he plays a character called Patch. Yes. And that's what this entire first, I mean, this this series lasted probably 180 edition, 80 um, uh, editions. So, I mean, there's... Him and Madripoor. But the first like 30 or 40 issues of this comic book were him and Madripoor as the character Patch. And this is him, you know, you know, kind of figuring out who the, you know, who's in power in Madripoor and how do I have to overcome it? And, and you know, is the hand involved? And It's great. That's awesome. So that I've have have all these and and again this is the first time he was ever in his own series. Shuffle through them for the YouTube votes, but these uh these covers are really cool, guys. I mean, uh, pop over to YouTube and check them out. They're very very cool. Uh, but that's cool. That's great. I mean, um, a little little knowledge from the professor bouncing off of us here. Thank you, professor, for bringing some of your. Your magic books right. to us. Next one, uh, I've got a couple of good possessions here. This is um, New Mutants number 87. So we know of the character Cable showed yep. up in the movies in um, Deadpool number two. But you know the, the Cable has a humongous backstory. Um, was originally in, first time we ever saw the character was in this comic book right here, New Mutants number 87. The first time we'd ever seen the character called Cable. And then ultimately went on to lead the team called X-Force, where he took a bunch of those New Mutants characters. So after New Mutants number 100, the comic book transitioned from New Mutants to be X-Force. And now we had a team of Cable and Domino put together a team of individuals, took some of the New Mutants and created their own team called X-Force. X-Force, yeah. So I have X-Force. We got a little bit of a taste of comic, a comic version taste of that in Deadpool 2. Kind of the... Not know, real. Right. Not real. But X-Force was kind of... Uh, it was uh, Cable's version of a team that was a little bit more hardcore, a little sure. bit more... Uh, they had to be a little bit more violent because the, the villains were becoming that way. Yeah. Um, but again, I have the first edition of uh, an appearance of Cable in the comics and the first X-Force here as well. And then, again, the great thing that Marvel does, they find out that the backstory of Cable, he's the son of of Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor, who is a clone of Jean Grey, and they had to send him back in time because he had a techno-organic virus, and they had yeah. to send him back in time so he could survive. And then he lived in an alternate timeline and then grew up to become an adult and came to time our traveler, time. Yeah. And he's a son of... I mean, literally, the backstory is incredible. That's amazing. But um, having the first I've always loved the that. fact that he had some kind of techno-virus that gave him his metal components 
and he had to use his powers to keep that at bay. The reason why he has a metal arm and half of his face is metal is because of the techno-organic virus, and yeah. he has to use his telep- uh, uh, telekinesis to always keep that at, at bay so he's never like fully powered. Um, there was later on, and, and Titanium's aware of this, he's seen the hundreds of issues of it in my, my house, but there was a version of this character uh, called Nate Gray, uh, he was called the X Man, and it was basically Nathaniel Summers or Cable, Cable. without the techno organic virus. So he was never hampered by this virus that he always had to keep right. at bay. So he had full capacity of tel- you know telekinetics and telepathy, and he's a pretty powerful character. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we can get get into that a lot in the future. What else you got? Well, I did want to talk about this because it's a little timely. Nice. So we've been talking about the the Venom trailer and the character Carnage. So we talked about the Maximum Carnage storyline in the comics where Venom and Spider-Man had to fight against Carnage because he had become so powerful and just going nuts and going crazy. Uh, Have the first edition of the Maximum Carnage storyline, which is Spider-Man Unlimited number one. So that's one of the ones I have here. I'm showing you guys. And he's got Spider-Man and Carnage on the cover. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. So that's that one and nice. we'll, i'm sure we'll be talking more about that we we absolutely will because that's important uh with the movie coming up the next two are um interesting so i have uh superman number 75 and that's an important that's an important comic in the superman came out in 1993 mm-hmm. and this was a real i mean huge controversial uh decision that dc made they decided to kill superman which was like unheard of created a character called doomsday that was so powerful that he could kill Superman and Superman ends up dying. We saw kind of a version of this in the, the DC completely different than the comics, but yeah, it was kind of cool. But in the comics, you know, doomsday lands on earth and the entire justice league fights against him. Can't do anything. And Superman's the only one has any chance of defeating him and he ends up defeating him, but at the cost of his life, yeah, he ends up dying. Um, and for multiple years, he was dead. Um, and we had then these four different versions of Superman kind of came into the Superman comics. We had um, Steel, uh, Superboy, um, Cyborg Superman. And then we had, you know, so that's and ended up shooting off these different versions of Superman. Well, then Superman came back. Like I said, you're never really fully dead in the comic books. He ends up coming back. And then in Superman uh, number 123 in 1997, he comes back, but he has different powers. He has a different suit. He's got kind of lightning-based powers, and he's still strong and fast, but he kind of can command lightning now. It's really kind of cool. Um, but to have that comic was also one of the, one of the great things. It's interesting how they're uh, evolving these characters now. Um, now they're toying with uh, Superman being a, um African-American, uh, and they're, you know, if Thor can be a woman, then Superman can be an African-American. And I know, I know they're touring with Batman being, um, I think his name is Fox, something Fox, um, Batman, the, the Morgan Freeman character, the, uh, well, the Morgan Freeman's son, Morgan Freeman character's son in the comics. They're thinking about making uh, Batman an African-American, which, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that makes sense to me. Um, but to, to gender swap a, a character just to do it, I, I don't agree with. There has to be some reasoning behind it. Agreed. Yeah. All right, so the next one we'll talk about is um, one of my 
definite prize possessions. And this is, I have the entire 12 issue limited series called Marvel, Marvel superheroes, secret wars, this, which you and I have discussed. We feel like we're going to get this in a Disney plus show. Maybe not perhaps. this version. Um, but this one came out in 1984, May of 1984, ran all the way through April 1985. It was the first crossover series that ever existed in the comic books. So there were others like Crisis on Infinite Earths, for example, in DC. That was modeled after what Marvel did with Secret Wars. Okay. So this was the first time that a comic book um, company had decided to take characters from a bunch of different other comics and put them all into one series and then do these crossovers with these other different comics at the same time. It was wow. the first time it's ever happened. So Marvel set the stage here. And the reason they did it, you'd find kind of funny, it was because of toys. So Kenner had come out with versions of the DC superheroes, like Superman and toys Wonder Woman. Toys like Hasbro and toys like that? Yeah. Oh. So Kenner, the toy company, was doing all the DC comic book heroes. And uh-huh. Marvel's like, why don't we have toys? We should do this as well. And Hasbro came to them and said, we'll make toys of your comic book superheroes. Absolutely, we'll do it. It'll you know, we'll make us both millions of dollars. But we kind of need a way to promote it. We can't just like all of a sudden make a Spider-Man toy. We need a reason to promote it. So they came out with this Secret Wars, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars storyline, and the entire comic book series was designed to sell toys. Wow. And they had TV commercials, like go out and buy the comics and then come home and buy the superheroes in, in you know toy form. It was literally marketed in a complete toy way. They, they This is the first time Kenner made any editions of any Marvel superheroes was when this series came out. Wow. This was the best selling comic book in history when Be- it came out. Because it was combined with a toy. Yeah. So up until this point, no other comic book had sold more than Marvel superheroes. It's amazing. Wars. That's amazing. So the storyline of Secret Wars, there's a character called Beyonder. He takes all of the heroes and villains from Marvel Comic Universe and brings them to his own kind of made-up world called Battle World yeah. and makes them fight against each other. And there's lots of repercussions across the entire Marvel Universe after this all happens. Well, the crown jewel in this entire series it was 12 issues. Issue number eight was the first appearance of Spider-Man in his new black costume. Oh, wow. And so issue number eight was the first time it happened. Um, At the end of issue number seven, Spider-Man was in a fight and he tore his entire costume. And again, you know, I've talked about this before. One of the things at that point in time, at least in the comics, Spider-Man's secret identity was still sacred, sacred. And nobody could find out who he is. And he's like, his costume's all ripped. And he's like, you know, I got to figure out. That bothered you a lot that it was revealed in the movie. So he sits down at this little machine in Battle World, and he, he's sitting there, and he's like thinking, I, I need a new costume. And all of a sudden, this black ball shows up right in front of him as he's sitting at this machine thinking about it. He needs a new costume. And then it comes all over top of him, creates a new black costume, and that's what you see on the cover of number eight. Oh, wow. First time we ever saw the black version. Now, the story behind the black edition of his costume Marvel had a contest to design a new costume for Spider-Man. Uh, a reader designed this costume, and he won the contest. Marvel bought that from the reader. That's amazing. And then developed this eventually. That's great. Um, 
But talk, this is the crap. First marketing. time Spider-Man was ever in a black costume was in Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number eight, which I have. And then, okay, after Secret Wars, we got Amazing Spider-Man number two fifty-two. Okay, Amazing Spider-Man two fifty-two. That's the first time he was in a black his black costume as Spider-Man after Secret Wars. Okay, so. That's the first issue. It's autographed by the artist, uh, Ron Lim, autographed this edition. So that's the first Spider-Man issue with him in a what, black what costume. What is it? Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 252. Amazing Spider-Man 252. That's cool. Yeah. So, that's great. And then we'll kind of caveat or we'll, we'll segue into what ends up happening with that black costume. Well, it's not Venom. It's a, literally it, it a black It is costume. eventually. All right. But we go through, so again, this is Spider-Man, Amazing, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man now, number 299. Okay, cool. So we go from 252 to 299. 299 is important because it is the first edition penciled by Todd McFarlane. So Todd McFarlane, one of the iconic, iconic. Uh, artists in comic book history, but one of the best artists of Spider-Man. He's kind of the guy who did all the swirlies around the webs and everything. Sure. It was just fantastic. 299 was his first issue. Number 300. Of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man 300 was when we got the first showing of Venom. So this is when Spider-Man has finally realized his costume is alive. It's a symbiote. It is making him behave differently. It's making him act differently. It's changing him. He doesn't like it. He wants to get rid of it. Get off of me. Right. And number 300 is the edition where he goes in and to the bell tower in the church and finds out that the, the symbiote doesn't like sound. He's able to get rid of it. And who's there waiting. It's Eddie Brock. Right. Eddie Brock now gets the symbiote and that's number 300 is the first the time birth we, of venom. The first time we ever see the character venom. Um, and I also have 301. Very cool. Which is when Spider-Man reverts back to his old costume um, for the first time as well. So huge addition. These are worth some money because, again, the first first time we ever saw the character Venom in the comic books were, were these these editions here. And Spider-Man um, is an icon in the comic book lore. For sure. And we know how popular Venom's become because he's now got his own movies and everything else. Right? Excellent. Well, Thank you, Professor. We talked about Todd McFarlane. Yes. And I have um, his first solo venture. It's called Spawn. Yep. Um, there were three, I'll say, three primary artists in Marvel Comics at the time who were very famous. So Todd McFarlane was the main uh, illustrator of Spider-Man and the most popular illustrator of Spider-Man at the time. Um, Rob Liefeld had drawn new mutants and x-force and had become very famous for that and created the cable character and and deadpool created deadpool all these other things and then jim lee was one of the other big x-men uh illustrators well became very famous and they were like felt like they weren't getting paid enough money to be so they split off yep they created their own comic book company called Image Comics, mm-hmm. and all three of them created their own characters and drew them or illustrated them themselves. Jim Lee had a team called uh, Wildcats. Um, um, Rob Liefeld had a team called Youngblood, and um, Todd McFarlane created a character called Spawn. Yep. And this is Spawn number one, came out in... 
I believe 1990. I've got my notes here. Two, 1992. Um, that's number one issue edition. Uh, cool movie. Yeah, and yeah, it was very cool. Kind of a cool movie. There. Fun fact for you: my younger brother was an animator at the time, and was hired with his team of animators to work on that movie. And one of the projects that he worked on was the animated fart from John Leguizamo. Leguizamo. John yeah. Leguizamo. He played this devil clown, this demon. And at some point he farted this green animated electric fart. And my brother worked on that. He, he created the animation, animated, for, the, for, animation the, for the electric for the fart, fart uh-huh. of John Leguizamo. In the Spawn movie. Fun fact for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. <laughs> Titanium, you're always bringing those fun facts to the show. Absolutely. That's what I'm here for. All right. Well, and the last one, again, this is not, I don't want to go through all these, take forever, but the last one we'll talk about tonight is, uh, again, another one of my prized possessions. This is Marvel 2-in-1 Annual, Volume Number 7. Came out in October 1992. Uh, features the Thing versus the Champion. So the Champion is one of the guardians of the universe, or the elders of the universe, I'm sorry. Uh, we've seen a couple of the elders of the universe in the MCU. So we've sure. seen the collector uh-huh. uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy. The Grandmaster. And we saw the Grandmaster in Thor Ragnarok. Uh-huh. Uh, the champion is one of the elders of the universe. He goes around the universe, world to world, and says, hey, I want to find uh, the toughest, baddest uh, mofo in every planet, and I'm going to fight him. You know, to, to, to basically make sure that I am the champion. And the thing kicks ass. The champion of the universe. Well, in this particular... He grabs all the heroes from Earth who thinks that may be a challenge to him and says, okay, we're going to have a tournament and anybody, any of them can beat me, whatever. If not, I'm going to just, I might destroy your world. Right. So Thor, Hulk, Sasquatch, Colossus, Wonder Man, and the Thing all fight against the champion. Thor, minute the, the round starts, he throws Mjolnir at him and he, and champion like teleports him away. Says you're disqualified. You're not supposed to use any weapons. Done. <laughs> and that the Hulk basically rips off his bar- boxing gloves and just runs at him and is gonna like basically tear him in half. And champion teleports him away and says you're just a savage. I'm not gonna. You're not worth my time. I'm not fighting you. Not fair. Right. I mean, they could have kicked his ass. Of course they would have. Probably. Okay. Uh, Sasquatch was the first one that tried to fight him fair and square. End up getting his ass kicked. Okay. Uh, has to be in Colossus fights him fair and square. He get, gets brought away on a stretcher. Uh, Wonder Man, you know, fights him. He ends up, like, tearing the ring apart. Says, I'm going to beat him by tearing away the, the boxing ring. And he ends up teleporting him away for cheating. So the thing's the last one to kind of stand for the earth. And he ends up fighting the champion. The champion just keeps beating him up. Every time the thing gets knocked down, it gets up again. And he knocks, beats him up again and not, gets knocked down. The thing gets up again. And the guy's like, man... I can I hit him with everything I got and he keeps getting up. And eventually you know the thing just he knocks him down so much that he doesn't get up after a count of 10 and, and champions like I I win. But then he looks over and he sees the thing still trying to get up again. He goes, "You know what? You've earned my respect. Maybe your planet's worthy enough and someday you'll find somebody that can defeat me." And again, it's a great story and That's again, cool. a thing is one of my favorite characters. Well, I just he's a great character. Yeah. Ben, ben Grimm, just great character. But it kind of showed not only is he strong and and powerful, but he's also got determined, a great will, That's right? Great. And uh, um, I bought this because I was more interested in like kind of the, the elders of the universe, and I found this story. I was like, wow, that's a really cool story. I just want to own that. And so again, one of the older ones that I own. Again, thank you, Professor, for dropping all this on. All right. us. Awesome. 
what what a collection uh it's impressive to say the least um once again the armored car is waiting for you out front to uh to hoist those away i don't I don't trust any of my neighbors with you walking oh, no. with that box. No question. That kind of, the armed kind of arm guard is, is yeah, waiting absolutely. eagerly right here. Exactly. Well, I hear the bell ringing, Professor. All right. Well, that's it for Super Talk this week. We'll be back more next week for more Super Talk. To get in touch with us on social media, hit us up via email at supertalkpodcast at outlook.com or at supertalkpod on Twitter. Until then, stay super, everyone. 